We're glad you're here, and I want to just encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 10 to this oh-so-familiar story. So when you think about who is your neighbor, that's the text that we're going to look at tonight. And this is the story that we've all heard. We've been taught it a million times. I've studied it. I've taught it. I've thought about it at a different angle. It's kind of like when you look at Scripture It's kind of like when you're seated at a football game. If you're at the 50-yard line, you have a different view of the same game that everybody else has, but it's a different view. If you're at the 20-yard line or in the cheap seats, it's still the same game. It's still the same story, but it's a different view. So if, if, if you'll think about this story from a perspective of having a little different view, the context will always rule. So we'll look at Luke chapter 10, verses 25, all the way to 37. I meant to say 37. And when we think about who is our neighbor, don't think of someone who's in your neighborhood. Because that's what people think about when who is your neighbor. This is someone in my neighborhood. Well, Jesus was going to be asked two pertinent questions in this text of Scripture. Here's the two questions that he's going to be asked. First of all, What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's question number one. It's a salvific question. So the story that he's going to tell is prompted by the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And number two, as the lawyer jumps over that question, he wants to know, and tell me who my neighbor is. So those are the two questions, a salvific one, and then who is my neighbor? Well, uh, let's back up into the text. Let's go a little bit before to get the context. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's in Luke chapter 10, verse 23 to 24. And here's what he says. If you'll look at it here, it says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son. There's a relationship there. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples And said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see. There's the emphasis. And have not seen it. And hear what you hear and have not heard it. Here's what Jesus is saying prior to this text that we're looking at. He's saying, if you want to know what salvation is, it is a revelation of who I am that is revealed to to you but it, and then when you receive the revelation of who I am, when you see it, when you see it with spiritual eyes, when, when salvation is opening the eyes of your heart to see salvation from God's perspective, which is a revelation of who Jesus is, and once you have the revelation of who Jesus is, you can know the Father. So Jesus is telling them that salvation is coming through me and it's by me. And so he's telling them, see, he says it five times, see the things you see, desire to see what you see and have not seen it. So the fact is you can see something and not really see it. There's got to be a switch that's turned on and that's the gift of salvation. So that's what is prior to this passage of scripture and then the scripture that we know for good. And it says here, it says in verse 25, so that's the context which always rules But notice this lawyer's heart and actions are far from each other. And behold, a certain lawyer, all right, stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He was testing him on his own textbook. 
basically. You know, because the teacher's going to know the law. So the lawyer's going to know the law. And so the motive here is to test him. All right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the salvific question, number one. And then, I love the way Jesus responds. He said to him, what is written in the law? In other words, the lawyer's an expert in the law. You're testing him on his own test results here. So they would wear phylacteries on their wrist and their head. They would know the law of God, the Shema. So he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And look what he says. So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God, look at the text, with all, circle all, all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. So it almost looks like works are connected to salvation, but not at all. Because this is in the present tense, which what is happening here is what Jesus is saying to the lawyer is, you've got to perfectly love me. You've got to love God with your whole heart, all the time, perfectly, without any exception, and never sin whatsoever. You have got to present tense, continually love, continually to have me in your mind, and continually, continually love your neighbors yourself. So there was a present tense here. You do this and you shall live. In other words, you've got to be perfect. Well, you know what the lawyer should have done at that point. The lawyer at that point should have bowed and said, I can't do this. Because you see, the law is a mirror to show us that we can't perfectly uphold the law on our best day. Have you loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? All the time. You've never wavered in that, and you've always loved your neighbor as yourself. No, you haven't. So the present tense here shows the lawyer, he's flipping the script here, and he's showing him, you can't do this on your best day. So basically what is happening here is he's putting Jesus to the test. So when I think about who is my neighbor, notice what he does here. He jumps over the loving God part and gets to his neighbor real quick. Because we want to know who our neighbor is. Let, let, let me tell you, because so the lawyer, he wanted to limit his neighbor to people that were like him. The Jews loved other Jews. That's my neighbor. The Samaritans, oh, they could love other Samaritans because that's my neighbor. So what we like to do with neighbor is we like to limit the people that look like us and love them. The people that look like us and, and act like us and dress like us and have the same dialect as us. But Jesus is showing him, you can't do this on your best day. So basically the context of this is salvific, which means what must I do to inherit eternal life, number one, and number two, who is my neighbor? And so it's connected together. Now there's a story about Billy Graham. He was having a crusade in Halifax, Nova Scotia years and years ago. And Leighton Ford was speaking uh, the night before. Billy Graham came in early and he sat down at the grass while Leighton Ford was preaching, and he came in incognito. He had his sunglasses on, a hat on, a jacket on. Nobody knew who he was. And so when he sat down, Leighton Ford gave the invitation, and Billy Graham decided to do some personal evangelism. He was up the next night, and he nudged the guy on his shoulder because he noticed he was listening intently to the Word of God being taught, and he said, hey, if you want me to go forward with you, I'll walk forward with you when they gave the public time of commitment. 
And the gentleman looked back at him and he said, Nah, I think I'll wait till the big gun comes tomorrow night. (laughs) Which gives us the mindset of what this world has set for us. And here's what the world has said. Let the big guns do all the ministry, but I'm going to tell you what, the little shots and the little guns can do ministry too when they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus tells this story about a little shot who's going to come in and he's going to bandage up and, and help somebody who's half naked and dead and lying on the road. And listen, loving people gets really messy. It gets really messy. So when you think about us little shots, uh, when I say little shot, what I mean is a little shot like you and me, whose name wouldn't be known around the world like Billy Graham, but we have the same power of God living in us, so ministry can be done in and through us with his power and anointing on our life, and we don't have to have the big guns come in. Us little guns can use the great power of Jesus to minister to people and to serve. Who is my neighbor? Here it is. Write this down. Anyone who has a need. Anyone who has a need. That's my neighbor. It's not so much relationship. It's anyone I come in contact with who has a need. So let's look at the story. Jesus tells this story. After letting the lawyer know and turning the tables on him and telling him, you're trying to test me. I'm telling you, you failed the test because you don't love me perfectly and you know that, and you also want to define who your neighbor is. So, so when you look at the text, it says, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we like to limit our neighbor to people like us, like I said earlier. And so what we like to do is say, if, if they become what they need to become, then I can love them the way they are. But Jesus flips the script here, and he says, no, it has nothing to do with what your neighbor becomes. It has everything to do with what you become in me. Because when you become something in me, you don't limit people to what they should do or be like or likable or lovable. You understand who you are and who I am in you, and therefore your neighbor is anyone who has a need. That's what he's saying here. And he tells the story. Here's what he does. But wanting, verse 29, to justify himself. That's what the lawyer was wanting to do. So his, his response should have been bowing down, crying out, repenting of sin, saying, I haven't loved you perfectly. I can't love my neighbor. I don't even like my neighbor. I can't love my neighbor. And the whole point was Jesus was trying to say, do this and you will live, meaning have eternal life in me and you'll live. But justify himself. He said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? We talked about that. Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man, he tells the story, parable, went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So this was like a 17-mile-long road that drops. Uh, Lots of robbers, lots of turmoil, lots of bloodshed on this road. And he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and he saw him. Now, now let's look at the word saw here. He saw him. So, so Jesus, in the, in the prior verses, the context to this passage of Scripture, talks about seeing with spiritual eyes. I see. Some see, but they don't see. They hear, but they don't hear. So, so here's a religious person. Here, here's a priest who came down the road, and he saw him. In other words, he saw him and had sympathy. He saw that there was a man in need. But because of his religious, ritualistic 
view of things, if he touched this man, if he reached out to this man, he was the priest, he would have to go back to Jerusalem, purify himself, wait maybe seven days for a priest to cleanse him, lose money, not be able to take an offering and come back. He couldn't take the chance of loving this person. See, what happens was the priest was religious. That's what happens. And that's what religion will do. It'll cause you to have sympathy. I see, I saw him, I see him. You see, you can see somebody but not see them with spiritual eyes. So, so he couldn't afford to do that. And the priest was varsity. Now, here comes the Levite next. Look at the text. So the priest saw him and he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked there's that word, see again, look, and pass by on the other side. So, so both people saw the priest, varsity, the Levite, JV, if you will, under the same laws. And, and, and so the idea was we, we can't afford to do this. Now, these were people who were to assist people in the worship of God in the temple, and you can't help somebody who's died on the side of the road. You see why religion is dead and cold and done? Because it has no power. You can see, you can have sympathy, but you can't move and enter in with compassion. Only Christ can do that. Only Christ can help you see with peripheral vision as you walk the road of life and you can identify people on your path. See, God wants us to identify people on our path and use peripheral vision. Even on Sunday morning, don't walk with your head down, walk with your head up. Look, uh, this last Sunday I had opportunity to minister to someone that I never thought I would be able to just because I had my head up, just because I looked, just because I saw, and then I could enter in with compassion. Not my compassion, his compassion. So, so you want to get the text here and understand what's happening in this story. So they passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was. Now let's stop there. He came to where he was. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. There was a racial divide. There was racial tension. I remember when the hurricanes hit, I was pastoring in Tennessee. We immediately went to Gulfport, Mississippi. It was devastated. We partnered with a military in FEMA because we had to have certain, we had to show certain credentials to get in and help the people. Um, we, we saw the devastation. We, we entered into this place. We didn't pass by on the other side. And one of the, my church members found out that it was a group of people that would be helping them that didn't look like him and act like him and have a dialect like him and dress like him. And he was bothered by the fact that we were reaching out. And I pulled him aside. And I said, listen, brother, we are here to serve and we will do everything we can to minister to these people. Well, they've got their cell phones, and they've got, their, they've got ice chests full of beer and all that kind of stuff, and we're working on their house. I said, what is the motive that you came on this trip? Did you come to serve in his name, or did you come to try to justify why you wouldn't help somebody who was in need? And he shut up after that, and he went to bed. And we served the rest of the week together. But see, it, it, our flesh would like to justify helping somebody well, listen, why would we, have to, why would we try to justify helping somebody when, when we were guilty of sin and dead in our tracks and we needed no justification and God decided to give us grace anyway? So when you think about this, it's a beautiful thing when you see something 
but you don't pass by on the other road. So the Samaritan, to cross over to the other side of the road, there was racial tension. Because someone on the other side of the road was hurting. And sometimes, because of racial tension, people are hurting and wounded, and they won't cross over on the other side of the road. But sometimes, somebody who has hurt you may need you. They may need you. And they may be on the other side of the road. So the idea was that he saw him, and he came and looked, and the Samaritan, he journeyed and came to where he was. He just showed up. He just came to where he was. He showed up. He just showed up. Can I tell you something? Sometimes ministry is just showing up. It's just showing up. I looked at this a lot after Sunday. It's a beautiful publication. I'm sure Alex Griegas, our communication pastor, had something to do with it. Lots of people, lots of ministries, numbers that you can see here. But I started to think about a ministry budget is a reflection of your vision. And it's a reflection of who are you partnering with, who is your neighbor, who are you trying to reach. And so when I, when, when you, when I read this text and I was looking at this budget, I was saying the ministry budget is all about Everybody is our neighbor, and, and we're participating and partnering with different ministries, and all of this is a need. So your neighbor is anyone who has a need. So, so when I saw that, I began to think about the ways that Sagemont has partnered and just showed up where, where they were needed. And the beautiful thing, and you know this with the Convoy of Hope and what Pastor shared recently about Fellowship Church that we've helped, it's just showing up, it's being available, and because... Thankfully, God has blessed us and we're debt-free. Like Chuck Snyder says, doesn't mean we're not need-free, but we're debt-free. We can mobilize money in a moment to, to minister in a situation, and we just show up. Sometimes it's the money that shows up. As these missionaries go out from Sagemont, you're just as much a missionary as they are because as you pray for them, you're praying right here at home base. God's called them to go, but both of you are in partnership together. So, so you just show up. Look at the text. The Samaritan, he journeyed and came to where he was. Came to where he was. A friend of mine who lost a loved one, like myself and the Sims, maybe some others in this room, said when their need was the greatest, they had somebody who never said a word, who stayed in their home for two weeks while they were dealing with great pain and turmoil and emotions, and they showed up. They washed their laundry. They cleaned the dishes. They stayed there. They received the meals, and they never had to say a word because they just showed up in his name, and there's power when you come to where the ministry is and you just show up. And I want you to notice in this text, there's no dialogue. There's no dialogue. When he showed up, when the Samaritan showed up, he didn't say, boy, what happened to you? You must have done something to deserve. And see, we like to justify some kind of blessing that God wants to give through us. We want to know what it is that you went through. Listen, all I know is the brother needs help. All I know in this moment is I don't need to ask a bunch of questions. So if you'll show up... And if you'll shut up and you'll just serve, 
you'll find out that God can do more through you not saying anything because it'll be awkward when you do say something and just serve. Have compassion. Do what the Samaritan is. And he came to where he was. And look at this. And when he saw him, he had not sympathy like the priest and the Levite could walk away. Oh, we, we have sympathy, but we can't touch you. He had compassion. The, 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 the idea of the word compassion means to enter in. To enter into somebody's space, to somebody's place, to somebody's pain. It's like when you shake a hand on Sunday morning. When you see with the eyes of Jesus and he begins to work through you, you shake a hand, but you see the heart behind the handshake. You see the pain behind the handshake or the hug. And you are moved with compassion. No sermon has to move you. No music has to move you. Because the sermon won't always be there and the music won't always be there, but God will always be there. And so when he energizes you to be moved with compassion, then you move with compassion. And that's what he says here. And when he saw him, he was moved. He had compassion on him. So it's kind of like compassion is, uh, is this. It's like when you feel something, you, you sense that you must do it. When you feel something for somebody, you sense that you must do it. But just because you feel something doesn't mean you should enter in and do it. But just because you do something doesn't mean you, you feel something either. So you, you feel something and you can do nothing, which is sympathy. You feel something, and, and, but you do nothing and that's sympathy. But feeling something, being moved by compassion, entering into someone's space and place in his name with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, show up, shut up, and just serve, then that's where the power comes in. He begins to move. And he came to where he was. He entered in. So what I see is a church that's across the street, uh, across the aisle, and around the world where we're just showing up, where people have needs. We come to where they are. Where we can go, we go. Where we can do ministry, here we do. Helping hands, counseling ministry. But we just show up and we have compassion on people. So it's like, for those of you that, ladies, have, you remember when you, you had a, a child uh, birth pains? You remember? Do you remember what it was like? You, 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 feel, you felt that when, when it was your time, right? But if somebody else goes into labor pains, you can say, I feel for them, but I'm not feeling for them in this time because their time is now. That's, that was my time back then. But see what compassion does is it connects your time with their time, and it moves together with the power of God. That's what happens. So we're moved with compassion. That's what the Samaritan does. He journeyed to where he was, and when he saw him, he was moved with some compassion. Look what he did. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds. This is the active part. Pouring on oil and wine and set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now let's stop here. Circle the word in. A lot of churches tell people to just go to the end and, and we'll pay the bill for you to get here. You've got the bed. That's basically what he was saying here. You've got the bed. I've got the money. And a lot of churches will say, we'll just give this hotel a bunch of money or we'll say, we'll take care of the, the bill. Uh, you've got the bed. And when we find another needy person, what we'll do is we'll get that needy person and we'll come over here and we'll deposit another person in your bed because you've got the bed, it's available. We've got the money. But notice in this text, 
there's much more than you've got the bed, we've got the There's a partnership. Notice how there's an extra mile that walks with God. Look at the text here. And so he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, two denarii gave them to an innkeeper, and said, take care of him, and what, look at the partnership, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. That's church. That's Sagemont. That's mobilization. That's ministry. We don't just say, oh, you take care of the, you had the bed, we've got the money. No, we, we have an ability to take care of people from the cradle to the grave because we've got a counseling ministry that we support in our budget. We've got helping hands that is willing to cross the street and not say, oh, we'll only serve people like us or we only let these people come in or, oh, we can't have these type of people come in. Listen, the gospel is for everyone. So when compassion moves you and when you see yourself, oh, hey, here's the end. Yes, you've got the bed, I've got the money, but let's partner together. If there's anything else that comes up along the way, as you run the tab up, we'll pay it too. Have you ever run up a tab? Or are you too spiritual? You see, oftentimes people run up a tab. I know people that we've helped here that have run up a tab. And you know what Sagemont has done? We've gone back and paid the bill and said, by grace, we're going to pay. Because sometimes it's not just a one and done. Sometimes people need help to get to the next step and the next step. And we have people that are willing to help in every category. And so when I think of that, about this budget, I think about all the things that we can partner with and all the ministries where we're not just saying, hey, you've got the bed, we've got the money. Yes, that's true. You've got the bed, we've got the money. But we're going to partner with you. We're going to enter into a relationship. We're going to do more than what's asked of us. We're going to go the extra mile. We're going to walk bigger and stronger because we're the little shots. And the little shots can do big things with a big God. We're not the big guns. We're the little guns that just fire with power because God is working in us. So when, when, when you begin to identify people on your path and you begin to identify pain, you enter in. Look at what he says. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him and fell among the thieves? And he said, look at this, he who showed mercy on him. He who showed mercy on him. Mercy. Jesus flipped the script instead of trying to identify who is my neighbor. That's the question up front. He says it's not about who is your neighbor. It's about what kind of neighbor can you be. That's what he's saying. What kind of neighbor can you be with me living in you? What kind of neighbor can you be? powerful neighbor, a caring neighbor, a compassionate neighbor, a loving neighbor. A neighbor is anybody who has a need. So as we walk through this life, we just say, God, you've graced us. You've blessed us. You've given us hope in you. You've blessed us with debt-free, not need-free, but we can use our ministry to mobilize, to turn and pivot at any point to minister to someone who has a need. And we won't just drop you off and say, oh, we'll take care of the cost of that. Anything you need. You can even run up a tab and God says, I'll go with you. God's blessed us in amazing ways. To be a neighbor, but you have to believe first. Here's what he says. And he said, he who showed him mercy. That's the neighbor. So a neighbor, I got news for you. We all think, oh yeah, I'll go out of here, man. I'm going to think everybody's my neighbor. 
Let me tell you something. If we can't love the people in here, don't be fooled into thinking we're going to love people outside these walls. Don't think for a minute, oh, I'll tell you what, let's just go out and let's, as Emory used to say, charge hell with a water pistol. That's what he used to say. No, 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 no. Your identity with your neighbor starts right here. Loving people right here. Getting to know people right here. Don't fool yourself. Don't fool myself. None of us should be a fool in this. We can't love our neighbor until we begin to love on the inside of these walls and begin to manifest power and presence of God in our lives. And we do that to a great degree in this church. And then he says here, then Jesus said to him, look at the text, verse 37, coming to the end, he said, go and do that likewise. Here's what he was saying. Go. That's what a neighbor does. Go. We say, come is for salvation. Come to Jesus. Come to me. We have songs, old school songs. Talks about coming to Jesus. Coming to Jesus. We sing, we sing them all the time at those revivals. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Uh, you, you know the song. But listen, once you've come to Jesus, here's the word. Go. Go and be a neighbor. Go and be a neighbor. You have to believe first, then your behavior is, I'm now neighborly. I'm now loving. I'm now caring. And let me tell you something. Listen, just a handshake and eye contact can be love from Christ. It can. You, you don't, don't minimize the power of presence. Don't minimize the power of presence when you are with somebody, when you're having compassion on them, when you're being moved in his name. Because in our spiritual lives, Christianity eliminates disengagement. We're engaged in our culture. We are going. Go and do thou likewise. I'll close with this. We were on a mission trip. We've done, I've done a lot of mission trips. Not here. But I've done a lot of missions here. I was the student minister for a lot of years here. That's missions. Don't think that what Cody does is, oh, that's not missions. That's babe. No, it's missions. I would argue everything we do is missions. You can't define missions as being over there in Africa and not here in Houston, Texas. Missions is the greatest missionary who ever lived is in me. He does missions better than anybody. He has compassion greater than anyone. On a mission trip, we were building a house. And the way we did it, we built a line of people. We had this line of people. We had blocks and bricks and mortar and all kinds of steel, all kinds of stuff that we had to get. The supplies were actually gotten beforehand for us. And we began to build. And what we did, we formed this line, and people passed a brick. The brick went down the line. And so when the brick came to me, the brick was not for me. It was coming through me from this hand to my hand to another hand. And we kept passing. And then down here they were building. So we just kept passing. Everything we received, listen carefully, everything we received, we released. Mercy is receiving mercy. Those of us who have received mercy and it keeps coming down the line from God, God is so merciful, he's so gracious, he just keeps giving mercy after mercy after mercy. It's never for me to be a reservoir, it's always for me to be a conduit and release the mercy that is now has been given to me. So I can praise God with one hand and release mercy with another hand and bless somebody because when we left that mission trip, there was a house that was built by the hands of people who are now halfway across the world. Because mercy was given, it was received, and it was released. Go and do thou likewise. Don't you wish the lawyer would have just bowed? He couldn't love God on his best day perfectly. He couldn't even love his neighbor because his neighbor was defined 
by who he wanted him to be. Not, not, not who he was, but who. Let me limit Jesus, my neighbor, to the people that look like me and act like me and run in my crowd. No, Jesus said, let me define neighbor. Neighbor is anyone you come in contact with. There's the story.